Well, I told the first service I kind of have mixed emotions today. Um, it's the last chance that I'm going to get to speak to you from the book of Hebrews for a while. Uh, in other words, this is my last installment. By the time I get back from Rwanda, we will be done with the book of Hebrews. Pastor Steve's going to wrap up the last couple of chapters in the next few weeks, and you know he's going to do. You know, it really is a gift that we have. Um, just some great teachers on our staff, and, and kind of the beat kind of goes on no matter who's here. So it's great. He's going to wrap up for that. But I got to tell you, I'm really glad to be talking about the subject matter we're going to be talking about today, and that is faith. I don't know if there's anything more principle, right, more foundational about everything that we think about, what we do as God's people, than the issue of faith. And today we're going to be talking about faith. You know, and I got thinking to myself this week, you know, is, is, is faith easier for me than a lot of people? You know, and, and you know, first of all, I, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home, right? I came to have a personal faith in Christ as my Savior when I was 11 years old. And so, you know, that whole kind of journey was the way I'm doing life was, was the kind of the way I was raised. So it's kind of like my heart language. And so maybe some ways that makes it a little easier. It's carrying on the family legacy a little bit now that my, both of my parents are gone. You know, but, and then in other ways, I mean, from, you know, from the first moments that Christina and I met way back when we were in high school, you know, faith has been a part of our relationship, right? So in some ways, keeping our marriage strong and just having a good relationship is just, just a part of kind of keeping that vibrant and going. So, you know, working on your faith, living out your faith kind of helps your marriage being better. And that's not a bad byproduct, right? You know, when you think about that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I had surgery to have my appendix out when I was nine years old. And besides that, I really don't have any medical issues, right? So it's not like I'm dependent upon God to, to live till tomorrow, right? In the sense of I'm dying of some kind of terminal disease or whatever. I'm healthy. There's going to be food on the table. If I don't get paid next week, we're not going to go broke. I mean, so there's not a lot of that kind of crisis stuff, right? And so, and then on top of that, I mean, being a person of faith kind of goes, it's kind of like a job requirement, right? You know, I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't know how long I'd be the pastor of Hope Chapel if I didn't believe in God, right? You know, I'd probably be out the door by tomorrow, and my office would be empty by Tuesday, right? You know, it's just because, so in some ways, you think it's kind of easy to be a believer. And I think for some of us, this is kind of that same. It's just kind of the way we do life. And so we kind of get into a rhythm, and faith is kind of easy. But then, you know, in other ways, I look at it and say, you know, faith is, is, is pretty pretty hard sometimes. You know, uh, because of my role, I often get to interact with people who are asking some of the toughest questions, right? Some of those are theological or moral or ethical. Sometimes they're just circumstantial, right? Well, why did, why did these kids get spared and my kid died? And sometimes you don't always have satisfying answers to those questions. And it makes you really wonder about some stuff and and, and that makes faith hard. You know, we, Christina and I built our, our family finances on giving, but it, it doesn't necessarily make it any easier to write checks through the course of the year for more than five figures, right? It doesn't get necessarily easier that way. You know, and then, then ways, too, where you just kind of get mischaracterized, you know, and, and you become the focus. I mean, we've had people who've actually attended here, kind of learned about what we believe biblically, 
about a lot of different issues from heaven and hell right on down to some of the social, um, moral, ethical issues that our, our, our times are struggling with. And then they've gone out and, and, and bad-mouthed me personally around town saying that I was, I'm a bigot and I'm a hater, right? And, and, and it, it's, sometimes it's hard, right? And, and, and you just kind of go through all of that. And, and yet, so we ask this, we, we, we just kind of assume faith is a part of our journey, but what, what, what kind of faith really allows us to experience to, to, to benefit from the Jesus who is better that he's been presenting to us over and over again in the book of Hebrews. And I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We always encourage you to bring your own so you can market it and do whatever you want. But if you didn't bring a Bible, they're underneath your chair. And uh, the text starts today on page 1067, 1067, and we'll quickly turn the page over to 1068. And um, I'm not going to read it all through in one whack, if you will, but, but I do want to get, if you will, the, the framework or the context in which the author of Hebrews, God is speaking to us from this chapter. And let me just read a, a couple of verses for us. So verse 2. For by it, and that's a reference to faith coming out of chat, verse 1, which we'll read in just a, a little while. For by it, our ancestors won God's approval. For by faith, our ancestors, those who've gone before us, and he's going to look at those who were the heroes of the faith before they took possession of the promised land and after they took possession of the promised land. Two different groups. It says, for by it, by faith, our ancestors won God's approval. Verse 39, very end of the chapter, the brackets, the bookends, right? All these, all those who were heroes of the faith before they entered the promised land, all those who, who were heroes of the faith since they took possession of the promised land, even those who didn't succeed in a worldly sense, which we'll look at in a little bit, Verse 39, all these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. And we have been made perfect through our faith that comes and is rooted in the Jesus who is better. And that, that perfection was extended backwards from the life of Jesus, not just forward. And so it completed, it validated, it perfected their faith. But I, w I want you to see here, what the kind, he doesn't set out to give us a definition of faith. He tries to illustrate for us the type of faith that God approves. The type of faith that gets rewarded and rewards us as well. And so as we kind of unpack this passage of Scripture, I want us to look at some of the characteristics, and I can't do all of them, and there's probably ways to state these things in different manners, but, but I want to highlight some characteristics of the type of faith that God approves, the type of faith that God rewards and is also rewarding to us. Now, I know some of you are going to find the fact that he doesn't give us a definition of faith, right, to be all that satisfying. Because even when he says, you know, in verse 1, you know, for faith is the proof 
is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It's not necessarily a definition, right? It tells us what happens as a result of it, but it doesn't give us a definition. So let me give you one, and I'm just going to give you a double A, right? And that is, it is accept, it's acceptance, and it's acting. And let me put it, acceptance that God is who he has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. That we accept that the God who exists is the one who has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of faith, that we accept that, and then we act on that faith or on that acceptance in our lives. So if you're looking for a definition of faith, it starts with acceptance that God has revealed himself, shown us his true identity, his true nature, his true purposes in Jesus Christ, and then it is acting on that acceptance. But as we see this faith at work, we come across some incredible truths for us that really highlight the nature of the faith that God rewards. So I want to start out by reading verses 1 through 12 in its entirety, right? And, and I want you to be looking for something as we go through here. And, 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 and so let me give you the point up front, and you can see faith is simply a response, our human appropriate response to God's revelation. God speaks, God shows, and we respond. Now, revelation sounds like a big word. I'm not trying to use it in that sense. I'm trying to use it in the sense of, of, of the way God communicates, what God has communicated. And we're going to see that in the text as we go through. But faith then, the faith that God approves, sees what God has shown, it hears what God has said, and it responds. And there's, there's some, a great truth for us to glean from that. But let me read these verses for us. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for. And God is the one who has shown us what that hope is, right? He's revealed it to us. He's the one who's gave us the promises. The proof of what is not seen. For by it our ancestors won God's approval. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was made from things that are that are not visible, that are invisible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And though, even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. We, there's only two individuals in the scriptures, Enoch and Elijah, who made it to heaven without experiencing death. And in Enoch's case, it was simply that he was out for a walk with God and God just took him home because of the, the intimacy of their relationship. For being taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards that those who seek him. Do we really believe that this morning? By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what 
was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. And he set out from a place, we know it was Haran, where he was settled in in the community, a stalwart there, building a family, building a career. It's where his life was. It says, and he set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he stayed. He stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of the sand along the seashore. Now, he goes through some of the greats of the scriptures, right? Here's a point I want you to see. These guys, they didn't have to invent this stuff for themselves. They simply had to respond to what God showed them. It wasn't Abraham's idea to leave Haran and go take, try to take possession of the promised land for himself. It was God's revelation, right? I think sometimes we, we as God's people, when we, we think about, you know, um, um, the way we, our faith was something like, you know, well, I'm not a dreamer like everybody else, right? I'm not insightful. I'm not a clairvoyant, you know? I'm not creative. I'm not all that, you know, discerning or whatever. We go on and on. And say, you know, I'm just, I'm just something like a simple guy who does the basics, if you will, right? I got to tell you, being a person of a faith that God approves doesn't mean that you have to be a genius. Doesn't mean you have to be really creative. Doesn't mean you have to be really insightful. You just have to have ears to hear, eyes to see what it is that God is showing to you and respond to it in faith. Every single one of us has the capacity to be people who truly are giants of the faith because every single one of us has God speaking to us and we have the ability to respond to him in faith. You know, and, 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 we, and we think about that. God's revelation to us, some of it is general. In other words, Everything in this book applies to every single one of us. Sometimes God's revelation to us is more, more personal, more specific. I, I mean, I'd use the illustration from my own journey. It's a time at the end of my college days. I was really wrestling with whether or not God was calling me to go into vocational ministry or was I going to go on to some other, um, my other chosen career would have been to be a lawyer, right? I, I was a good student coming out of college, graduated fourth in my class, right? You know, my, my graduate scores on the testing were off the charts, especially on the logic side. I don't know whatever happened to that, but it was really, on, it was really high back then, right? You know, that kind of idea. And, 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 and I had the opportunity to go some really great places, and I was really struggling with that. And I will tell you that God spoke or revealed to me his will for my life which was to go into vocational ministry. God reveals. And I got to tell you, it, it, it doesn't, you don't have to be a real giant. You don't have to be, God just, he shows us what is truth. He speaks to us. 
He directs us, and we simply just have to respond. Does that make sense? Because some of us are saying, I don't have big dreams like Abraham. I don't have big dreams like Moses. It's not the point. The point is, what is it that God has asked you to do and respond to it and follow through with it? And that really leads me into my next point. You know, faith is... Faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. Don't make it any more complicated than that, right? The kind of faith that gets held up to us is saying, you know what? If you want to have a faith that God approves of, this is the characteristic you have to have. It is trusting God enough to do what he says. Think about Noah, right? God shows up and says, you know what? I'm going to do a reset on humanity. So even though you live in the middle of one of the most arid places in the world, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build this huge cruise liner and fill it with animals. And then I'm going to go for and, and 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 what is it? He trusts God enough to do what he says, right? Abraham, again, he, is, he has already moved with his family from one community to another, moved hundreds of miles, settled into a new place, made it his home, getting success. And God says, you know what? It's time to pick up and to move. He said, and guess what? I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. So you can put the map quest away, get rid of ways because you don't even have a destination. I'll just show you where we're going, right? And what is it? He trusts God enough to do what he says. I got to tell you, that is the heart and soul of it. And so many of us are just, so we, if we want to grow our faith, all we have to do is start doing what it is that God has already shown us we should do. The rest of it will come from there, right? And we're so worried about what we don't know, then we're not doing the things that we do know. And, I, and, and see, and this is where the story really kind of picks up because faith, having the faith to trust God enough to do what he says, even though we don't fully understand or we're unsure of the outcomes, that's where the hard part comes from, right? It's not really knowing how it's going to work out, not really understanding why it really all makes sense. Or how to, and you see this over and over again in our pastor's description. Let me just read some more verses for us as we work through this. So I want to pick up in, um, in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet his offering, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, though therefore he received him back figuratively speaking, right? So here's his point. He's, he's trusted God, and he's responded. He's moved hundreds of miles from home. He's wandering around like a nomad in the desert with no place to really kind of put down his roots, even though all the land around him has been promised to him. And then God said, all of this is going to be given to your descendants to Isaac. And then God said, you know what? I want you to take Isaac, who's only 12 and has no kids. And I want you to take him to the top of Mount Moriah. And I want you to offer him to me. And, and, and Abraham thought, now how does this work? Right? I got the promises of God, and yet if I sacrifice Isaac before he has kids, then where, where, are the, where, are the, great, where are the grandkids coming from? 
How are my descendants through him going to be like as numerous as the sand on the sea, right? And, you know, or, or, or as numerous as the stars in the sky. How's it all going to work out? He doesn't know. He says, you know what? Well, you know what? God can bring him back to life, I guess, if he wants to. You can look over a little further, and, and in one of the, some of the quick hits that are in the later part of the chapter, he talks about those who walk through fire, right? Who, and, and he's referring back to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of you know that story from the book of Daniel. You know, they were, they were um, a new law was placed in the land in which they were living in exile that they were not able to, be, to, to pray to God, and they went ahead and did so anyways. And so they're arrested, and they're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace that's overheated, seven times normal heat. They're going to crank it up to full blast, right? And they're going to be thrown in. And just before they're thrown in, the king has compassion and says, you know what? If you'll recant now, you can, you can, you can be spared. And you know what their response to him was? We know that our God can save us. We're just not sure he's going to save us. But we're still not going to turn our backs on what's right in the eyes of God. We're still going to do what he showed us to do. And they're tossed in. They didn't know the outcome. They could have been fried like French fries in seconds, and that's it. They didn't know how it was going to go. But even though they didn't understand, they knew there was risk involved, they still were faithful in responding, trusting enough to what God has said. And, and I, that, is, that is paramount for us. You and I trip and fall so easily exactly in this place. We don't know how it's going to work out. We don't know how, what people are going to say about us. We don't know how it's going to impact our jobs or our careers or our families or our finances or whatever. And so we back up and we don't do, we don't trust God enough to do what he has said for us. You know, I, I remember a couple of issues for me that were pivotal in the journey, our journey of Hope Chapel, you know. Some of, you, some of you know this and some of you don't, but I was, I was serving with our regional denomination. I, it was a very rewarding and fulfilling role that I had. It was, it was, it was, we were financially okay, right? You know, it wasn't the highest paying job, but it was certainly a lot more than I'd been making when I was pastor in a small little church down the South Shore and some other kinds of things. And, and so people came to us from this community who had been a part of a small Baptist Bible-believing church here in town for 30 years. And they said, we've tried this for 30 years, and we've never run more than 20 people. So we think you should try now. Right? And I remember thinking to myself, where are the spiritual markers that God's ready to do something new? Right? I could launch out on this, and all it's going to do is ruin my reputation, undermine my vocation, make us look silly in the eyes of the community. All those kinds of issues are there, right? So should I do this or not? And it was a risk, right? And, and we trusted enough to do what God had said. It took me six months to figure out what God was saying, but we trusted God enough to do what he said. Even when we went to build this building, you know, my, my father-in-law was a, a great man of faith, and he really believed in, in being a great steward and raising a lot of money for the kingdom or whatever. But he specifically came to me one time and said, I got to tell you, I don't think you guys should build a building now. You guys can't afford it. You're going to fa- financially bankrupt your ministry. And so we set out. We, we landed up building a $2.5 million project on a church budget of about two hundred to $250,000. They tell you never to go over four times. Right? And, and so you look at it all kinds of risk. And I got to tell you, 
in every category outside of the fact that God had said now. It didn't make any sense at all. But faith isn't having it all calculated and every I dotted and every T crossed and knowing exactly how it comes out so you're not taking any risks. Faith is about trusting God enough to do what he says. So sometimes that means you've got to spend enough time on your knees figuring out what God's really saying so that you can trust it and go do it. And I've got to tell you, one of the biggest questions that I struggle with as a pastor as we approach our 20th anniversary coming up in a couple years is, are we actually taking enough risks anymore as God's people? Or are we just getting comfortable and we don't want to rock the ship because it feels good on Sunday mornings? This next point, and, and I want to back up to, to verse 13. Can we're talking about the, the characteristics, the qualities that reveal themselves in the faith that God approves. And, and, and the statement I want you to see, and, and here's what I want, to, I want to phrase it. It said, the kind of faith that God approves is not just living for the here and now. It's really living for the future. And so if you and I are seeking, if our faith is simply about seeking a better place now, it's not going to be approved about God, by God. Faith, the kind of faith that God approves is seeking a better place later rather than just now. It's about laying up treasures in heaven rather than just doing what makes sense now, what feels good now, that gives me the life. Look at verses 13 through 16 with us, right? These all died in faith. He's referring to... Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. They saw them from a distance, right? They're out in the future. They greeted them. They accepted them as going to be real. And they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. In other words, we're, we're just going to be aliens. We're, we're not going to live the life we want. We're going to live the life in someplace else, right? Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, right? If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. In other words, is that they're, they, they, they had a goal, but the goal wasn't to go back to the life they had, right? It wasn't to go not just about the now, right? But look at this. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They were living for the future, not for the past and not for the now. And, and listen, hear this statement very clearly. And I'm stepping on my own toes a little bit when I say this. If, if our faith is only about the here and now, you and I are always going to wrestle with faith. We're, we're never really going to get to the robust place of faith in our lives if our faith is simply about the here and now the way I want my life to be tomorrow, right? I, I came across a story this week, and, and um, what I, I, I was surprised I didn't know it from earlier. There was a young man back at the beginning of the 20th century. Um, so I think he died like in, in the early 1920s. His name was William Borden. And uh, he, wasn't, he, was, he, he was born into a very, very wealthy family, not the Borden Milk family that still goes on today, right? But he was, his family actually had an interest in silver mines in Colorado, and they'd become incredibly wealthy. To give you an idea, when he died in his early 20s, um, he, he gave 
$100,000 away to the China Inland Mission. Now, think that's back in the early 1920s. That's like giving away $100 million today, right? This, this young man was very wealthy. So when he graduated from high school, his parents decided that they would send him on a, a trip around the world, chaperoned, so he wouldn't get into trouble. And, and during his high school days, he had come to know Christ through a ministry that his mother exposed him to, and so he'd become a Christian. As he's traveled around the world, God just placed his burden on his life to be a missionary. He just said, you know, the best thing I can do with my life is to give it away, sharing Jesus with people who have never heard it before. So he went to Yale University and graduated with high, high honors, started a, 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 a shelter and a home for the homeless and poor kids and that kind of stuff while he was there with his own money. Of course, he had plenty of it, so, you know, that kind of idea, but he, he worked it. He was a part of it. Then he went to Princeton Theological Seminary, graduated again with honors. So when he got done, he had to make a decision, and his dad said, if you, if you do this, if you go into mission work, you'll never be a part of the family business ever. I don't care how it goes. So his dad wasn't too excited. But he said, you know what? I, God's called me to, to be a missionary. That's what I'm going to do. So he actually had a burden to go work with the Muslim Chinese who lived in Western China. And so he went to Cairo to learn the language in Egypt. And while he was in Cairo, he did some ministry things and started a home for kids and some other stuff. But he contracted cerebral meningitis and he died in his early 20s. And there's a headstone still for him in the American cemetery in Cairo, which I understand is not well-maintained anymore. And this is what they wrote in his headstone. And it relates to the kind of people here, and it should apply to our lives as well. What they wrote in his, his headstone was this, that apart from his faith in Christ, his life makes no sense. Apart from his life, his faith in Christ, his life makes no sense. Why would a young man who's got every resource he needs, can have a career that can make him incredibly wealthy, and he could do all kinds of good all over the world, right? Just like Moses, we haven't read this today, just like Moses could have stayed in Pharaoh's court and made a big difference and etc. but he, he abandoned all of that because he wasn't living for the here and now. And I wonder if God, if, if, if we can look at our own lives and people can say, you know what, I, I have no idea what he's doing. I can't understand it except for the fact that I know he's a believer in Jesus Christ. Because you're not living for the here and now. You're living for the future. And that's the kind of faith that God approves. Here's the next truth I want you to see. I want to pick up with verse 35. Verse Verse 32, he shifts to heroes of the faith after the conquest, after they've taken the promised land. And he highlights some guys who are successful, you know, Gideon and David and we're right on down the line. Then he gets around to those who, at least on, from a human perspective, never had their faith vindicated. Look at the latter part of verse 35. Other people were tortured, not accepting release so that they may gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. 
the exact dream we have for our kids, right? Right? We, we wanted them to walk around destitute in goatskins and sheepskins and with no place to put, right? Uh, not a pretty picture, right? Verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Here's a point I want to make for you. The kind of faith that God approves isn't about outcomes. It's about obedience. The kind of faith that God approves isn't about outcomes. It's about obedience. You know, there are a lot of people in chapter 11 you look at their lives, and their faith had tremendous outcomes, right? Abraham launched a nation. Moses delivered a nation. You can just go, Gideon marched around the walls of Jericho, and it fell down. You can see the, the impact that their lives have, but that's not why they were great. They were great because they were obedient. And these people who, who never got a chance to see, see, I told you, my faith, because they, in the world's eyes, they lost. They were just as great because faith isn't about outcomes. It's about obedience, right? And, and that's a powerful word for us to hear because a lot of us are looking at it and saying, well, you know, I'm just a two-bit player or whatever. I got to tell you, you are a giant of the faith every time you get up early in the morning to spend some more time in the Word or you make a sacrificial gift to God's kingdom or you, you pull over and get out of the way in grace from the guy who's tailing you too much on the highway rather than slowing down and making him even madder, right? Which is what we really all want to do, right? And you, can, you know, when, when you choose to forgive, right, you can just go right on. Every single time we choose to obey, God's saying, you're, you're, you're a giant of the faith. It's not about outcomes. It's about obedience, right? It's about obedience. You know, at least Moses, right? I mean, Noah... You know, he builds this huge ark. They mock him for years as he's building this ark. But when they're all standing there in waist-deep water, and it's still raining, and they're floating, he gets some sense of vindication, right? The people we just read about, they never got that moment of vindication. But I got to tell you, they were heroes of the faith because they obeyed. And, and, and being a giant of the faith is just responding to what God has shown us to do and trusting enough to do what he says, even though we haven't figured it all out. And we don't know how it's all going to work out. Because it's about the obedience, it's not about the outcomes. Got one more truth I want you to see. And it comes from verse 1. I promise you we're going to go back to verse 1. We've seen it already a little bit in Abraham and some other places. Now, faith is the reality, right, of what is hoped for. The proof of what's not seen. And here's a statement I want to make. Faith is what allows us to materialize today the promises that are still coming to us from the future. Look, they got a hope, right? The hope is this city that God is building that we saw Abraham was right. He didn't turn back to his homeland. We could have built a better life. He sees what God's building, and, he, and he's able to, his faith allows that, that city to be a reality in his current moment. It materializes the future promises now. I got to tell you, that is so critical. It, 
When you're in a marriage and it's not doing well, and you're doing everything you can to create reconciliation, to create intimacy, to create connection, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and your spouse is not connecting, sometimes it is only there. It is the materialization of the future promises which allows you to stay in that relationship, to be a God-centered spouse, and continues to love on them, and to serve them, and to connect with them, no matter what's going on. When you walk out of a doctor's office, and the last words ringing in your ear is, your cancer has come back. It is not in remission. What rings out, the way you can live with hope and faith is because the future promises are materialized now. Right? And you can go right on down the line. Right? It is, it is by knowing that the outcome is already defined that we can be people of faith in today's moment, right? And that is the power for us. It, it, it is, is we're able to say, you know, the, the city's built. My room's already prepared, right? It's, it's there for me. I don't, I don't have to worry about it. And I can live in the moment as though that's already real. And that's what faith does. It takes what's hoped for and it realizes it today. It takes what we can't see, we can't touch, what we can't feel but we know it's true, right? Because it's, it's proved to us, right? And, and it's when those things happen that we have a faith that God approves. Every single one of these folks was approved by God. And in the work of Jesus Christ, their faith was perfected. And so can ours be as well. To live with joy in the midst of, uh, you know, we, we gotta, I don't hear any noise in the lobby yet, so we're going to take just a couple more minutes. Listen, some of us, you know, we, we live in a time today when we think about stuff vocationally. We think about times in terms of our culture and our society and whatever. And I got to tell you, being secure in the future reality, right? When we struggle with issues of morality and ethics and the way we're going to do things, we struggle with our vocations. I, I told the first service, one of my, my greatest... Um, it's not a heartache so much, but one of the things I really wish, I really pray that God had already risen up somebody from, from Hope Chapel to commit their life to vocational ministry or to full-time Christian missionary work, right? Just praying for the next level, for us to be made. Though, knowing what God has promised in the future could allow us to say, well, you can have such a bright and promising career, but I'm going to set that aside. I, I, I get emails regularly from a young man who, who was launched on a really, could have been a really great engineering career. He, he had already been through a number of leadership things with several corporations. They were moving him up the line, and God led him to give that all up and to invest his life in a part of the world where he can have contact with North Koreans so they can come to know Jesus. You do that because you know that the future promises are going to be real and they're materialized in the moment. God just does incredible things along those lines. So here's a question I want to ask yourself. Do you need this kind of faith? When you look at your faith, first of all, do you have any? And if you don't, I invite you and challenge you today to accept that God is who he has shown himself to be through Jesus Christ and to act on that by trusting him as your Savior and Lord today? Do you have the kind of bold faith, the kind of faith that God's going to approve 
if you think you're a faith holder, that you've got, you're a person of faith, is your faith the kind of faith that God will approve? Is it just enough to get you through life comfortable or are you trusting God to respond to what he's shown you to do? And I think for some of us, the real question we need to ask ourselves is, do we just need to obey more? Do we need just to obey more? You can be a giant of the faith simply by obeying God in the small things every single day. Let's pray together. God, my first prayer is this. I pray that every single person in this room would want to be approved by you. Not always true in every room. There's some people who could really care less what God thinks of them. They're not even sure there is a God. But Father, I pray, first of all, in this room, every single heart would be captivated by the desire to be approved by you. Father, you've already taught us that it's without faith, it's impossible to please you. So, Father, I, it's my privilege today to pray for people to come to be people of faith if they don't have faith at the moment, to acknowledge the fact that they need a Savior because they're sinners, that Jesus has loved them, he's done that for them, and to embrace him as their Savior and Lord through faith, through that acceptance and that act. But Father, for the rest of us, I pray that we'd live our lives with boldness. That we wouldn't settle for anything but being great for the faith. Because we trust you enough to do what you've told us. So Father, give us hearts that will obey. So we pray in the name of the one who obeyed perfectly, even to the point of death on a cross, Jesus himself. Amen. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a final song as we always do. It's a chance for you to give your offerings and it's a chance for you to place your connection cards in there and your prayer requests. You know, I, 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 it's really my delight to say to you, if you're looking for a church home, the, the Hope Chapel is full of great people and they would love to get a chance to call you family. If you're looking... For a, if you need a pastor, I'd be honored to have the privilege of being your pastor. And if you're already stuck with me as your pastor, my challenge would be to you this week, go out and love well. Love God well, love each other well. Let's stand together as we move to a conclusion.